0: On All right, here we go. Welcome to the On Track and Field podcast. I'm your host, JT Ayres, all things track and field related. OnTrackandField.com. How easy is that? I'm surprised they even got that URL, but onTrackandField.com, we have what you need to give your kids the best experience possible. Yes, right now, if you go to the website, we have socks and shoes. Yeah. What other place has that? And they're good and they're quality. And you can go there and get what you need. I just got a starter free lab from on track and field. They sent it to me. I love being a part of this team. Starter free lab is one of the coolest things because you actually just hit the button and it starts it. My athletes love it. And I'm getting good measurable marks from them. And right now there's a big stick blowout. They will also price match anything you need on trackandfield.com. Go there. You will not be disappointed. With me right now is Jerry DeFilippo. He is the owner and head trainer of Challenger Strength in Wayne, New Jersey. In addition to having a bachelor's in science degree in business from Rutgers, smart dude, he's the strength and speed specialist. That's why he's on this podcast. I've been following him for years on social media, and I'm so excited to be talking to him. He works with multi-level athletes from youth to college in a variety of sports, helping enhance on-field performance and injury prevention via strength. Big weight room guy, and that's why we're going to talk. That's what we're going to talk about today. So anything that has to do with mobilization, balance, coordination, he seems to be an expert on. And I know this from experience because I've been stealing his stuff from social media for years. I'm really excited because he even has a good podcast called Muscles and Management, and he has over 200 episodes. dwarfs this podcast, so it's cool to have him. Jerry, thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I appreciate all the kind words. And please, when you have over two hundred episodes, I think people start to get tired of hearing you talk. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been fun though. I I, I always love getting another a chance to be on the other side of the uh, the microphone. As I like to say. So I appreciate you having me on.
0: Okay, we're going to talk about something that's near and dear to so many coaches because yep. not everyone has this, and that is the strength and conditioning coach, not even just having a strength and conditioning coach, which my public high school does not. Most high schools do not. Not only that, but most colleges don't have a good one. So what can I coach? What can you help us understand that things that we could do with our track and field, or even athletes at a high school college level to make them faster and stronger? What do you, what recommendation you have for us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say the first thing would be along the lines of, of mindset, right? I think um, a lot of, you know, what gets maybe people in the track and field space a little scared of the, the weight room guys are the people that, you know, they think that the weight room is obviously the be all end all of getting faster, you know, more powerful. I think, you know, if you could replace that mindset with the, you know, this is something that can help in, enhance and assist you know, what we're trying to do in terms of getting strong or getting faster, getting more powerful. Uh, I think that first and foremost, that mindset is going to be the most helpful thing to understand and, um, you know, help develop relationships between, you know, the strength and conditioning side and, you know, let's say the track and field side. Although my take personally, and I'm sure, you know, this is something that a lot of people can glean from my content is, um, you know, I'm a big, you know, marriage between the two kind of, person and kind of coach so for me and for us when it comes to what we're programming uh you know I don't think I would ever sit here and say you know the strength side's more important or the speed side's more important I think they both have a tremendous role um not only in team sport athletics but when you're looking at you know someone who is a track athlete where sprinting is their sport you know there can be a big role for the strength training but you know, obviously you need to be sprinting and you need to be moving at full speeds. And, you know, there's that component to it as well. So if I were to say what you could learn from me or like, what would I like to, you know, be the, the one big takeaway other than mindset, it would be just to understand that, um, you know, if you are a track and field athlete and you have really had, you know, minimal experience in, in training, conditioning or in the weight room, or if you are a track and field coach and you have, uh, had minimal experience and you have athletes that you want, uh, to kind of receive help from that. Um, the biggest thing I would say is just focus on, you know, what you're not getting, um, when it comes to your practice and your sport. So if you are a track and field athlete and you're exceptionally fast and your mechanics are clean and everything looks great, um, and you have, you know, limited experience in the weight room, if you can balance your schedule and you can still prioritize what you're doing with your sprint training and, you know get a little bit stronger um squat a little bit more obviously you know with good mechanics or deadlift a little bit more or you know add different plyometric components to what you're doing whether it's loaded plyometrics or unloaded um i really do think if you know you can do those things i think there's a tremendous benefit to be had by those athletes who have yet to be exposed to that and if you're a track and field coach who listens to this i think you know if you can find a person that you can trust to, you know, put your athletes through strength conditioning or weight training, uh, the right way that will respect the schedule of the athlete and, and really try to work around it and build programming through that. I think that's the best bet. So mindset is the first takeaway. It's going to enhance, it's going to help. It shouldn't just take over. Um, and you know, two, you know, really try to understand that, um, it should be something that is built around the athlete's needs and, and what, um, you know, their schedule is. And I think if you have that, type of cohesiveness and a marriage between the two, that's gonna be when you're you're best off. So that would that would be my starting point.
0: I feel like anybody listening to this podcast, especially an athlete or coach that doesn't have a Jerry in their neck of the woods, right? I mean, where do I go?
1: It's it's really it's it's crazy to to think. Like I say we come we've come really far as a field, but like so I don't give you a little background on myself. I'm 28 years old, right? Um, so when I was in high school you know, 2009, 2010, 2011. Like, I went to an all boys school. We had a weight room closet. Okay, it was like this little small space with like not much in there. We didn't have a coach teaching us. Like, I never had a legitimate strength coach as a baseball player in high school, and it's crazy. Like, it existed, but it wasn't as commonplace as as it is now. But even now, we still have work to do, as you alluded to. You know what I mean?
0: Oh yeah. In fact right now it's football season in California and it's cross country season across the country, right? Football players are in the weight room. Seems like they know what they're doing, even though most of the time it looks like it's a CrossFit gym, but cross country kids are not in there. So what, what's your opinion on distance runners in lifting weights?
1: Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is, you know, understanding that it can help you exceptionally. If you're max output, I know, you know, Tony Holler speaks about this a lot and, um, you know, other coaches, the whole idea of speed reserve. And, um, you know, if you look at the weight room through the lens of a couple of things, one, you know, resiliency, robustness. Um, I think I, I picked this up from Zach Dakin. He came on my show a couple of years ago. If you don't know Zach guys, he's the, um, head of baseball strength conditioning at TCU. And Zach is just a brilliant guy. And he brought up the whole idea of basically the two different reasons you would be training or doing you know trend training sports performance whatever it is you have the idea of just overall physical qualities which he called robustness so uh increasing your strength increasing your or improving your range of motion and stability uh increasing your power output like if you were to think of all of those qualities as like you know um attributes in a video game Uh, You would be maxing. You would be trying to get them to a ninety-nine as best as you can, right? Or you're trying to take them from a fifty to a seventy-five, or seventy-five to an eighty. So you have robustness, and then you have the actual, you know, bridging the gap of transferability from what you're doing in your strength conditioning over to your sport. So you know, energy systems, trying to match those up. Um, You know, trying to match up planes of motion or muscle groups that you're using, or um, the the speed and intensity of a movement, like. The more of those things you could check off if there were boxes next to them, the more checks you add ideally is the the more you're getting over to transferability to your sport. And obviously that comes from uh, the great Yuri Verkashansky with his principle of dynamic correspondence in terms of, you know, how transferable strength conditioning or, or sports performance training is to your sport. Now, with all that said, the first aspect he talks about is robustness, right? Getting back to what Zach said. So, I think the biggest benefit like a cross country or a distance runner can get from it, Um, in my opinion, and I only know this, this is something where you may not believe it, but looking at me, but there was a year of my life where I was a cross country athlete when I was in eighth grade, right? (laughs) And I did it and I had a great experience. Like it was something different for me. Like I'm a weights guy. I've always been a bigger kid, now a bigger man. Like that's, it was unique for me to get involved in cross country. Like I was, a you know, like a fish out of water. It was very weird for me, right? I would tell you just from my experiences, even as an eighth grader, as like a low level eighth grader cross country runner, like there are a lot of wear and tear type of injuries in the sport, just because of the pure volume of the ground contacts and the repetitiveness of it. So I really do think from just a standpoint of resiliency and robustness, like we say it all the time, like why, you know, is strength conditioning so important for a young athlete? Well, you, know, you have soft tissue injuries and you you know have the ability to build eccentric strength and single leg stability and all of these different things. Like if you can build up those qualities in a distance runner, in my mind it goes a long way into helping reduce some of the wear and tear things if you're you know more robust as Zach likes to say. And then you have the other part which I alluded to in the beginning um, of the speed reserve side, if my max output's higher, so if my you know top end speed, is uh is greater like if i let's just say for argument's sake using a one out of ten scale if i'm a cross-country runner and my top end speed rates out at like a four or a five and i could even nudge that up to a six or a seven or even just a six or same for power or um you know vertical jump ability like all those maximum outputs if i can you know tab those up a notch or two on the at a ten scale the speed that i'm moving in my cross country steady state, longer distance type thing, it's going to be obviously a lot less of a percentage than it was previously, which goes a long way in helping improve from an energy system standpoint when I'm not even trying to work on that. So it indirectly helps. So that's obviously, you know, the whole concept of, um, speed reserve. And I think that's where a lot of people get the wrong idea. Again, cross country is its own sport. Like, you know, I get it. Like there's unique qualities you need that aren't going to be those, you know, people think typical meathead things you do in the weight room, but we're not looking at it from that perspective. It's looking at it from, you know, resiliency, robustness, improving my uh, overall strength and and all those aspects, which could help me with the wear and tear component. And then there's the entire, you know, Hey, I'm a more explosive athlete than I was in the past. Maybe now I can run at the same pace that I was, and it's going to be less of a toll on me because it's lesser of a percentage of, of my maximum output. So I think those are the two biggest things you can get as let's say a distance runner who isn't um, doing any, you know, high intensity weight room type
0: training. It's funny. You mentioned Tony Holler because five years ago, he was adamantly against the weight room said it was a waste of time. now he's got guys like Zach, me, Kula, you, all these people are now coming into his life that are convincing him of others. I love it. Um, okay. You mentioned, you know, working with the athletes. Now I'm curious, what kind of things can I be doing with younger athletes? Like even very close to when, you know, boys and girls are hitting puberty, 12, 13, 14 things. When they're in middle school, what are some of the things that you have found very helpful for this type of athlete where they want to be fast? They want to get better. They want to do, what are some of the practices you do with them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing I'm going to say on this, I think it'd be helpful if anyone's listening to this and you, you know, you're a coach who's wanted to get younger athletes involved in strength training. Maybe you are, um, I guess a coach, a teacher, whatever it is, and you've gotten some resistance or pushback, uh, hey, it's not safe, or, um, you know, it could stunt growth or all of those things we've heard over the years. If you go to my Twitter page, and there's that little search bar up on the top. And you just search like youth lifting, youth strength training. uh, I posted a couple times, several different things where I uh, have linked from uh, the NSCA, American Pediatrics Association, you know, all debunking that so i'll start out with that right away like obviously those things have been disproven and um you know if it's progressed and it's done properly there's no um scientific research to back up the fact that it would do any of those things like stunt growth or cause issues um you know my favorite thing is directly from the american pediatric association uh strength training is not shown to uh have an impact on linear growth so let's get that right right out of the way uh to begin with if you have If you're a person who needs that bit of proof to show somebody, go right to my page. You can find it. Um, Now, when it gets to what would I do with them? So I've talked about this before. I think the single biggest thing that we should be focusing on when it comes to um, younger athletes in strength conditioning. Now, I say it a lot, but when you're talking about sprinting and jumping, um, you know, obviously great movement mechanics are, are very important. Uh, I like to think of the nervous system and I've used this analogy before. Um, like, you know, if, let's say you pour concrete, right? Let's say you pour concrete, but you don't level it. Um, you know, you don't put it in the right places, but then it hardens and now it's stuck like that, right? When you're mm-hmm. a younger athlete, your are concrete, like you're, you're, you're just poured. You're able to be moved and, and molded and shaped versus when you get a little bit older, if you know, things set in a way where you don't want them to be, you have to pretty much just go get a jackhammer and break it up and kind of start over again. Um, so I think, you know, first and foremost, or I would say these are one a and one B they're kind of tied for me is, you know, the mechanical aspect of, you know, Hey, um, do things like what, let's say sprinting as an example, you know, you want the foot strike behind the hip and acceleration body angle, like all the good stuff we always talk about. If you can groove that at a younger age, the athlete's going to be in a much better position to succeed than their peers who haven't done that as they get into that later middle school or, or early high school age. Um, Tied with that, or maybe I, you could say it's a little bit even maybe more important than that, is the ability or, or being put in a situation where you're taught to move with maximal intent. So to me, and um, someone that I've learned a lot from, Joe DeFranco, said this, and I, I learned this from him several years ago, um, you know, from what he saw working with younger kids over the course of a long career was, you know, when you're 8, 9, 10 years old, um, you have the ability to improve stride frequency when it comes to sprinting. So obviously, you know, speed uh, comes down to stride frequency and then stride output and stride length and and all those different aspects of it. Um, You know, he found in what he was looking at that it was much, you're much less likely to be able to improve stride frequency um, as the athlete ages versus when they're younger. So to me, that really says a lot about like, and I talk about this with my baseball players all the time, Get your young baseball player, you know, throwing as hard as they can at a young age. Get them swinging as hard as they can. Like, we'll clean it up as we go. But, you know, when it comes to the nervous system and the ability to generate uh, a lot of force very quickly and, and be really uh, gifted with your stretch reflex. And when it comes to jumping and sprinting, if you can get them at eight, nine, 10 years old, 11 years old to be just moving as fast as humanly possible, whether you have them race each other, give them a goal, like a thing to reach for when they jump, just as long as you were ingraining in them, that you have to have intent behind your movements. that is such a big thing that you can develop at a young age. And I also firmly believe that you're not going to want to inundate, you know, a young kid with a lot of cues and stuff. So put them in a situation when we come you know, b- back to the whole mechanical side of things, a loaded sprint, a hill sprint, things that like make them get into the positions you want them to be in without them having to consciously put thought into it. And then they just do it and do it and do it over time. And you can get rid of the tool and you still see that it's there without the tool being in place, that whole, you know, self-organization idea. Um, on the lifting side of things, I generally like to stay in the one to five rep range. Uh, we like to use some eccentric tempos, like if we're talking, you know, a goblet squat or, you know, teaching them a hip hinge with a basic RDL with a kettlebell or a split squat or a push up, whatever it is that we're doing, you know, building strength and stability through the range of motion using like a three, two, one on the rep um is a really good way to build that stability and that dynamic motor control and, and you're teaching them how to move. Yes. And on top of that, um you know, the really good point has been made that, you know, an athlete at that age that has yet to go through puberty yet isn't going to benefit as much from hypertrophy training as one that, you know, is getting going starting to go through puberty that is more uh, inclined to be able to build muscle because of that process. So to me, you know, having a nine-year or ten-year-old doing twelve-rep sets isn't going to be as beneficial as the more, and obviously, all movements driven neuromuscularly. But I'm talking movements that are even further down that side. So if you look at, um, you know, the Charlie Francis motor unit chart, right? You have like lifts and 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 uh, more hypertrophy-based stuff is is all the way at the end. It's not as uh, driven by uh, the the uh, motor unit recruitment and the nervous system versus like. Throws and sprints and all, or jumps, all the way down to uh, max speed sprinting, is you know the most driven by that, right? So, to me, if you were to look at that chart, like smack dab in the middle, it's like heavy lifting, whereas down more towards the end is the higher rep type lifting. So, I would rather the lifts be in the five rep or lower range because they're more based on getting them to produce more force and get stronger. They're going to have a much better response to those type of things than trying to drill them with hypertrophy before they even, you know, even hit puberty yet, if that makes sense.
0: Oh yeah. Well, it's funny you used to say that because I mean, I'm the, somehow the mass specific force guy, we skipped yeah. hypertrophy with, with my high school kids and my college kids. Um, so, okay. Now with that said, because you're alluding to something that I think is really important when I, when the pro athletes are working out in lifting, yep. you know, what are great examples of things that they do that we should not be doing?
1: So I think, and I, we talked about, we were getting a little bit down the rabbit hole of transferability before, Uh um, I I think that's, that's a really big one, right? Um, I mean, I, where, I, where could I, where could I, where should I begin? Right. Um, so first of all, we have another, you know, favorite analogy of mine is, you know, killing a mosquito with a machine gun. Um, like you just don't have to do it. Right. Like it's not necessary. You know, um, when you're dealing with younger athletes, right. You have to understand that their training age is, is non-existent and they can improve by just such a minimal amount of work and, and basic type stuff. Right. Um, you know, when you have a pro athlete or a high level college athlete, and you know, you're getting closer to their season and you're really trying to match up, like, you know, Super, super specific with plane, uh, planes of motion. So let's just say, for I'll use baseball as an example because we work with a lot of baseball players. Uh, a 22 year old who is, you know, in their fifth year of college baseball um, is going to be getting really plane specific with, you know, the type of med ball throws they're doing and the anti rotational work and, you know, all of that type of stuff. Whereas if I have a 12 year old, a 13 year old, a 14, 15, whatever it is, could be even in high school because. At the end of the day, this is another big tip. Judge the athlete more on their training age and their biological age. Hmm. Now, both are going to be a factor, but uh, there could be two 16-year-olds. Two One's been training for four years rigorously, let's say, with me. And then the other one I just meet, you know, uh, a month before their 16th birthday and they just start training. Those are going to be two very different athletes in terms of how I attack what they're doing. You know what
0: I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense, too, because I just took over the – girls sprinters the last couple of years is the first time they've ever been doing off season lifting with me. I'm not going to have them jump in and start doing all kinds of stuff. they have never even done before, even looked at before.
1: Yes. And and so I think too many times people feel like for a couple of reasons, I think there's a lot of pressure with social media. Right. Um, And I, and I urge young coaches to understand and not be overwhelmed by this. Like you don't have to change something just to change it. Right. Like, you, you are supposed to run through similar things over and over again with young athletes, because there's just such a long amount of time that they could get benefit from it versus the older athlete where there's going to be more changes. Like I'll give you, I'll give you an example, you know, comparing what I would do for a college athlete versus a younger one, A younger athletes going to be getting a lot of the basic movement pattern work. Um, you know, maybe they're only training two or three days a week and more of a full body type template. Um, You know, where my college athlete might be four days a week, they're doing an upper lower split. You know, we're running a work capacity cycle to start their offseason, which is like higher reps and trying to build their base. And then we're progressing to, you know, more force dominated speed movements and bar speed work. And then we're going to go even faster after that cycle as we make another step in the offseason season. And in addition to going faster with the weight being reduced, we're also starting to get more uh, plane specific now, whether it's, you know, the frontal plane and and rotation with a baseball player, um, you know, we're not doing those things with a 14 year old, right? The 14 year old is going to stick with that basic movement pattern strategy, you know, over six week cycles, and they're going to go from five reps and gradually work down to one. And then guess what, when that's over? they're going to go back to five again and they're going to just keep getting stronger because they're deadlifting 250 and, you know, it would benefit them to get to 400. Right. Whereas my college player might already be at 400. So, you know, just taking them from four to 500, you know, yield as much of a result as the year and a half long journey to get my younger athlete from 250 to 400. No, you
0: know what I mean? Yeah, I totally get it. And I'm so glad you mentioned that and said that because most people you talk to aren't going to be warning people there it almost, it feels like more is better. And there's a lot, I, I don't know about what it's like in New Jersey, but in Southern oh, yeah. California, <laughs> my gosh, dude, it's, it's CrossFit left and right. It's here it, or there. It's, it's very it,
1: tough. As I feel really feel for young coaches who don't have as much of a reputation. Like I can, you know, be in six and a half years into this now and um, getting a following and having a lot of athletes. Like I can get away with the whole, like, we're very successful you got referred to us or you heard about us because of the success that we've had so this is how we do it you're going to just listen to us and that's going to be the what we're going to do versus when you're a younger coach you have to sometimes compete with the places that are having 12 year olds you know with a stick attached to a band like they're hockey players and like all that crazy types of stuff like you have to compete with that where the parents think that's like the sexier option When they don't get it, I feel for those people. Like I really do. It's it's hard to compete with that.
0: Man, you're fun to talk to, Jerry D. Dave Filippo. I said your last name correctly, right? Yes. Okay. Where can we follow more about social media and things that you do? Because you're a very good proponent of throwing content out there. Can you just walk our audience through where where they can find some of that information?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think. The best way to get to, to see my content is Twitter. So, Challenger underscore ST would be my first place I would direct you to. Instagram, I post a lot on as well, but like, you know, you're not, you're just sharing videos on Instagram. It's not also tweets about your thoughts. Like, I could type things whenever I think of them. So, if you want to see all my thoughts written out throughout the day, videos, my Twitter, Challenger underscore ST. Um, my TikTok and my Instagram are just Challenger Strength. Uh, I honestly, if I make something on one platform, I'm probably going to share it on another. So if you find me on one of them, you'll find everything that I have. Um, But Twitter is definitely my biggest, most used resource. So challenger underscore ST is where you can find me on there. And, you know, I'm posting stuff every day because I love it and it's fun. So if you're looking for free content, that's the place to go.
0: Well, the problem is I love to keep this podcast short because it's a nice little commute or a quick little jog and people can take in the content. You and I need to go again. I have so many other questions. Oh my gosh, man. In fact, next time we're going to have you on again, man. And if you would allow us, but man, lifting for speed, I want to hear your thoughts on medicine balls and plyometrics and how they're utilized, all that stuff. You are very, very good. And if I can affirm you in any way, before we end the podcast, you're very good at what you do. And you surprise me. You're only 20 years old. I mean, I'm 40 and now I'm thinking back when I was 20 years old and how lost I was. Man, you're doing good stuff, and I can't wait to see what you're going to continue to do. Those kids and those athletes are lucky to have you, bro. Um,
1: I, I appreciate all the kind words, man. Thank you so much for having me on, and I would love to, you know, come on for a part two, you know, to the stuff we didn't get to. So, thank you.
0: Awesome. So, yeah, this podcast is brought to you by OnTrackAndField.com and RelayBatons.com, and as a gift, uh, Relay Batons. Uh, is going to send Jerry a uh, gift. And uh, so, off podcast, I'll get your address and we'll send you out uh, something so you can keep. I know in New Jersey it snows and it's wicked cold. So, we'll get you something you can keep that uh, hot beverage hotter for longer. So, thank you so much, man, for coming on. And without further ado, stick around because Steve, who is a legend in his own right in the strength and conditioning world, mostly because of his large triceps, he's going to break it down. He's the CEO of both On Track and Field and Uh, relaybatons.com and he's going to tell you how to get in contact with us on social media so Steve take it away brother
1: Huge thanks to this week's guest, Jerry Filippo, for joining us on this week's On Track and Field podcast. The On Track and Field podcast is powered by RelayBatons.com, custom engraved meet and competition legal relay batons. Perfect for team branding, team bragging, school and meat records and awards, coaches gifts or proposals. Plus, we have custom engraved water bottles and tumblers and OnTrackAndField.com. Now offering Brooks, Saucony, New Balance running and competition shoes and spikes. Plus, you're just one click away from huge savings on UCS, Gill, Freelap, products and gear. And now, introducing our own line of pole vault and high jump landing systems fabricated here in the U.S. locally, designed by pole vaulters and jumpers for pole vaulters and jumpers. And make sure to check us out on our
0: socials at Track, the letter N, field at Track and field on the gram and Twitter.